Are you a leader in customer success, pre-sales, professional services, support? Do you work behind the scenes and roll up your sleeves to make sure that customers are happy? Renew. Then this is for you. Welcome to the GSD Podcast. Welcome to the GSD Podcast. Getting it done. Services, success, and software. We'll talk with the pros that have been in the trenches, getting service teams off the ground, launching new types of groups to service customers, or running agencies that don't have a product attached to it. For the pros, by the pros. This is the GSD Podcast, and this is your host, Jeff Kushmerick. Hi there, this is Jeff Kushmerick from the GSD Getting Services Done podcast. Uh, welcome back. I had the chance today, I'm actually sitting in Hudson, Mass, where Richard Banfield has a, has a new business. He still has fresh tilled soil, but he created a new type of office uh, shared location. And it's, it's beautiful. If you know Richard, it's exactly what you would expect. There's fantastic furniture. Everything is just spaced appropriately and elegantly. And not only that, and we touched on the, this in the podcast, is he's a big believer in community. And we sat down, had a nice lunch. Uh, other people here in the space came over. We were chatting with a chef and a videographer and a CrossFit trainer and some other people as well. And it was just, uh, he's, he's really doing a great thing out here for people that like to do the co-working thing, don't want to work directly in their houses, might be remote, um, but they also don't want to go to a space that is incredibly loud, fishbowl-like, and uh, uh, the only thing that's really thought about in those places are the the cold room and the, and the ping pong table. So highly recommend that. Um, we got into so many things. Richard has been a friend, a vendor, a mentor, everything for me along the years, and we got into it's funny i had a lot of topics and the topics really came to getting resolved around some culture and passion but we we definitely got into how to hire for your teams and how to be empathetic and what customers know that you care how to scale how to work distributed there was a really long discussion that was super needed on the d- distributed workforces and how to do that correctly. And Richard has experience in that with fresh tilled soil going remote recently and just thought leadership. And, and we really got into a new business acquisition a lot too. So there's a lot of things here. And then we touched on favorite podcasts and thought leadership things as well. And just, just a really great time. Richard's a, a, a speaker in demand and I'm glad for the time. So sit back, enjoy and uh, enjoy the conversation. All right, so I am recording now. I'm here with Richard Banfield. And Richard, I thought I'd start this off um, by telling you a story that I've never told you, oh. but I tell everybody about you. Really? So, yes, exactly. And so, um, as you might be aware, um, when I was at Bright Cove, I had a group that was designers and developers and whatnot, but the point here is I had designers, right? And so, uh, one of the designers one day was talking about something in a meeting. I'm like, hey, that's a great concept. And she's like, yeah, I just read it um, from Fresh Tilled Soil. And I was like, who? And she's like, Fresh Tilled Soil. And she's like, you should subscribe to their blog. I think you'd really like it. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds great. And so I subscribed to it. And I was like, these guys put out great content. I don't need them as a vendor, but... I'm really glad I, I know of the service, right? Yeah. And so fast forward a few years later, I had a project where <laughs> I needed some really good UX fast. And I don't know if I ever told you this. I, I, you know, we had a friend at Atlas that connected us. I didn't even get two other vendors. I knew you were the guys. Wow. And we hit it off and, uh, and I said, that's it. And so when people talk about content generation, 
I always use fresh tilled soil. And when I was trying to get our marketing department, like we just need to put out some thought leadership, which we're going to touch on later. I always use this example and they're like, oh, wow. So there you go. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's funny because content creation was never a marketing initiative for us. It was mm -hmm. always driven by curiosity. Yeah. We were always we should talk about that thing. We don't know enough about that. Or right. There's some really smart people who know about this thing. Yeah. And we would call them and interview them and eventually it became a podcast and a whole bunch of other things. But yeah, it, it was really just like admitting that we didn't know what the hell we were talking about. Absolutely. And then reaching out to the people who did and said, saying, Hey, do you mind if you talk about this stuff? That's exactly what yeah. this podcast is. I mean, we talked about a little bit before this, but I used to go off and we, I'd talk with, all these people that we just, and we get, you know, not as much as we should anymore, uh, but uh, we get together, we just talk about stuff. Yeah. How do you do this? How do you do that? And um, I, I view this podcast as, in, hey, maybe you, maybe you just got promoted or dropped in or you ran support and now you have a services group that needs to happen. And, uh, and then it's, and then here you go. Where do I find any of this? Like Quora? Like, I don't yeah. think so. Right. Yeah. So, um, so hopefully that that's what, but this is for, and absolutely. I think you find so much out through breaking things and yeah. and we do a lot of that where we are now where we walk in and we're like oh well you know we built this out and we made sure that we have all of these components so like they're like wow how did you think about this and we're like well we kind of found out the hard way because we didn't ask customers if they needed multi-tenancy until suddenly they're like this is multi-tenancy right <laughs> so things like that um, so actually, uh, why don't you give a quick history? Cause you, you know, I, I, I think we're going to title this like from special forces to design oh leader, <laughs> but I, it's a fascinating, um, uh, turn of events that I'd, I'd love for you to, to get into a little yeah. bit, not the big biography that we talked about, but for people to know sort of how it happened and, and what you're into now. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure if everybody goes through this, but I suspect that even people who think about their careers from an early age, you don't really know what the hell you're doing no. when you're 16 or 17 or 18. I mean, right. you're just, you're, you're just so stupid. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have so little insight into the real world. That's why we have liberal art majors, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> which I was. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, I highly value that stuff. Like everybody yeah. should do philosophy. Everybody should oh, do yeah. that kind of thinking. Absolutely. You know, that's so what being like, for. I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm going to ride this rail for yeah. the next 30 years. Yeah. Right. And, and there's definitely a place for the, the kind of the technical skill sets, but you should always start with just how to think. Yeah. Um, and I was dropped into the army straight out of school. It was a requirement oh, okay. of living in South Africa, which mm -hmm. is conscription, just like it is in Israel mm -hmm. and other countries. And that was my first experience of the real world outside of school. Mm -hmm. And it was a great experience because suddenly it was, I became an officer, so there was that whole leadership oh, great. Okay. thing. Yeah, But you really just find out where your limits are. You find out mentally, emotionally, physically where your limits are. Right. And it sets you up for this incredible kind of opening. You know, you, your mind opens to a whole different place. Yeah. That if you're um, maybe in a more protected environment, maybe you could just go from school to school to school to career, right. you really don't always find out where... The hard parts are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And where the scary parts are. Yeah. Um, and, and where you have to face yourself in the middle of the night. Like that's, you know, like, oh my God, this is, yeah. this is who I really am or I'm being asked to do these things. I, I hadn't even thought about asking this, but do you, you're, you're all, always seem to me very calm, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's sides, right? We all have that, right? You know, somebody doesn't put the toilet paper roll on or something like that. <laughs> and suddenly like it's all gone. But, uh, but uh, dealing with those things, you find out like, the hard stuff, right? You and and suddenly, the toilet paper roll is not that bad compared to like maybe sleeping in yeah. sandy water or things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I, 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 it's not like you solve the problem. It's not like you know what calmness is and you can always be there. Right. But it's the door is opened and mm -hmm. you get a glimpse of it. Um, I find this with meditation as well. You get yeah. a glimpse of something, and then you go, "Oh, I know what it is." Mm -hmm. And I know where it is and I know how to get there. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's always on. Right. You know, it's <laughs> so true. Um, same thing happens with uh, psychedelic drugs, actually. Yeah. You know, you have that, that door opens and you, you're like, oh, I see the thing. Yeah. But it's not like the problem to get solved. Right. You, it's just a different approach on things. You just know that there is a solution and, and you know that it's available to you. And that gives you this opening, this whole, this 
It's another universe. another event. Yeah, it was full. when you said the psychedelic drugs, I thought of that Mad Men episode where the really straight laced um, what was the name of the white hair? Anyways, he accidentally took acid, and then suddenly it just had very different perspectives yeah. on things. And yeah, um, so the army is a little great. bit like that. It kind of opens your mind, and then my my experiences were very unpredictable. I I, I let my career unfold without too much of a plan. Too much of a plan, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, no roadmap, really. I'm aware of that scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that a lot of people probably experience that, but they they may tell a different story because they want their parents to believe that they actually know what they want. Uh, or yeah. They want the rest of the world, the society around them to know what they want. But yeah. a lot of us are just finding out, you know, where we, who we are and how we fit into things. Right. And I was very, very fortunate I I... I worked as a diving instructor overseas in a very, very remote location of the world. That was another way to kind of explore literally the depths wow. of my being, um, <laughs> physically and mentally. Wow. Um, and and then I thought, well, hang on a second, this could be a career. I could do this in a more formalized setting. So I decided that I was going to become a marine biologist wow. um, and study biology. Yeah, uh, and was disappointed that science, the way you know, I imagine science being more like National Geographic kind of science. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and because I'd been working in... in you were in, actually doing it, in, in the and ocean. suddenly you're probably in like a lot of theory. Yeah, yeah, and then it was like back in the lab and spending an enormous amount of time in the subterranean windowless lab. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. Right. Um, and so fortunately had been exposed to, to some design stuff it was the new era of computers mm -hmm. everybody was had a pc by then right uh the web was just starting to make its presence felt and i was like oh this is pretty cool mm. got in there opened up the first i think it was like windows paint or something oh yeah oh my god and, yes <laughs> and it just kind of turned me on i was like i, I can do really cool stuff with this yeah and flying people wanted and, yeah yeah and and, <laughs> and then people would phone me and say can you make stuff? Can you make, whether it's product packaging or a logo or right. a small website or something like that. And, and we were all just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Nobody no, knew what the hell they knew. There was yeah. no, there was you, it, yeah, no, words, there was no operating manual. Yeah. And you would, you would just, you know, find an HTML book and right. teach yourself that stuff. And oh, I know. I just, uh, just the, do it. the suddenly Netscape communicators out there <laughs> you're yeah. dealing with that stuff as well. Yeah. I remembered. Yeah. Oh, my God. O'Reilly books. Uh, I probably put somebody through college with those things. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and you, you kind of just figure it out as you go along. And a lot of it is um, admitting that you don't really know. But at the same time, you also have to somewhat fake it before you make it. Because... Right. People are asking you to do stuff, and you're you're that's, putting yourself in that expert position. That's such a concept that I actually let's get into that because I have it written out here. Mm. But there's you know I'll use the the dichotomy word again. But there's like you're faking it till you make it, but you want to show this sort of like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. How do you? And I know you guys go through this because the note that I wrote was that. Um, I first noticed this with you because I had always been working in services with a product company. Like I can get anything done within DECA. It's, mm -hmm. We'll load the file in like or Brightcode will build video experiences for you. But I noticed you could go from context to context and within five minutes, pretty much like, oh, you're going to do this. It's a marketplace model. You're going to do blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and, and that's where I noticed that you were able to really pick up on stuff and then just kind of fill in the pieces along the way. Is that pattern recognition? Is it the fake it that you make it? or? Um, it's, it's a deep sense of curiosity. So when you're truly curious about something, and I really mean truly, like mm. authentically curious, then people come away from your conversations thinking, wow, this person knows a lot about that. But what you've really just done is ask an insane amount of questions. <laughs> yeah. And the, so the, the, the perception is, oh, this was a conversation between experts. Right. Whereas it was really just a lot of insanely good questions. Yeah. And, and very often those questions are insanely good because they're simple and foundational. Right. It's like, why does this work like it does? Explain to, this, to me how this thing works or right. draw a picture. Get up on the whiteboard and show me what the ecosystem of these it's things is. like those is. seven levels of why. Like, why do you want to do that? Well, because I want to put my kids through education. Well, why do you want to do that? Right. And then suddenly, like, oh, my God, i got to really think about that now. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's not so much about presenting as the expert and then faking that expertise. 
it's mostly about saying there is a thought process, like a, a, um, an exercise of thought mm-hmm. that we're going to go through together, and that feels like expertise. Right. So if you put um, any other profession in that seat, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or anybody else, let's say you were meeting with a doctor and the doctor asked really good questions. Mm-hmm. That would expose you to how the doctor thinks, where that doctor's experience might be, um, and what they really care about. And it's the same with anything. Right. So if you walk in and you pretend to know all the answers and you throw solutions around, then it feels more like you're selling aware. Like you, right. these are my things and I'm yeah. going to sell them to you. Everything's a hammer and a nail. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas when you go through the discovery process, that leads to a different kind of empathetic conversation, which yeah. what psychologists call um, accurate empathy. Well, so empathy is the big theme that I just keep popping up to. And I think there is something about um, doing really well in this profession of professional services. If I think that empath is truly one of those traits that is needed to be um, successful, but also um, somebody that people want to work with. Yeah, and it and it has to be accurate empathy, not the fake empathy. Because <laughs> what do you mean? Em- <laughs> <laughs> the fake empathy is actually fairly easy to learn. Yeah, um, you know, and it's it's these little things like you know I'm going to really listen to somebody. I'm going to mm-hmm. let them talk all the way through before I ask my next question. Right. I'm going to repeat back what they said to me. You mm-hmm. can learn those right. things without actually caring. Absolutely. Not actually really listening. Yes, they're called sociopaths, Richard. (laughs) But that's what unfortunately happens, especially in in the world that we live in. Because everybody was told to solution sell now. And it's like, well, you have to do that. Wait five seconds before they before you talk, but then wait another five seconds. And it may seem like painful silence, then that's the training, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then that went, you know, solution selling went to challenges selling where it was a little bit more active it was kind of this co-active yeah a little poking yeah like, exactly yeah. and did you ever fall into that did you ever do the challenging so i've challenging? i've tried all of these things because i'm curious to see how they work right um but there's that core part of you that goes this sounds like bullshit like, you would never have <laughs> yeah. this conversation with a child or a wife right your wife you were like they would see right through you so why are you having it with this, this potential right. client it, so funny. I do that to my daughters occasionally. I'm like, I'll sit down with my seven year, 11 year old, put my hands on the table, and be like, So tell me about your day daughter. Yeah. Right? And she'll be like, What the hell is going on right yeah, here? You're a psycho. He's <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Is that what yeah. they say? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you, you, the, the measure of this is would you try any of this stuff with friends right. or, or your family? And the answer is ridiculously no. Like, we, there's just no ways you get away with it. Right. Um, the stuff that does work, however, is that genuine curiosity or accurate empathy where you're really, really, really trying to get into that situation that they're in mm. through genuine dialogue right? and saying things like, well, yeah, I don't really understand what you're talking about because I've never been in your situation. Tell me more about that or mm-hmm. explain to me in a way that I would understand. Are there metaphors? Are there analogs? Are there mm. you know, ways that you can explain this to me? And and it just express your your ignorance right in a way that's not like well i'm ignorant and i don't care about you but yeah. rather like i am truly misunderstanding yeah. this because i haven't been in your situation absolutely and if you keep talking and i keep asking questions maybe there's a point at which those things will intersect and we'll we'll know each other better absolutely and and so what we find and i think this is a, a topic that that you care about certainly i do <clears throat> prospecting and, no, yeah. and working with clients and acquisition of, of new work. If you make it about discovery and discovering what the true part of the problem is or what the pain point is mm. and nothing else, right. like you genuinely just want to know what the problem is and you ignore the fact that you've actually got a solution in your back pocket, you get to a place of empathy so much quicker than if you're just trying to force the conversation around to that moment where you can quickly insert your solution. Right. You, know, you said the key word. And now oh, I well, I have. You said a platform. Well, I have something here for yes, you. Right. Absolutely. We're going to get back into empathy a little bit on the delivery and the customer success because there, I think there's some good models in, in there as well, too. Um, in the vein of like, hey, you just inherited this team or something like that. I've got a couple themes I love to ask everybody. And mm-hmm. one of them is the sort of 
you know, I'll, I'll put it in the frame of the product of the designers, right? Okay. Your team, you know, everybody should know Richard's teams uh, build brilliant UX and user experiences, UI. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, am I I'm missing oh, things as well? Good, yeah. And, um, you know, I think there's a big difference between the people that will work for an organization and work as consultants. Um, and you know, you know, we've done these a couple times before and I've perhaps had some drinks in me and I'll expound on it for a while with some biases and whatnot. But I, I, I have this sort of feeling about the care that people put into their work and that might not be as much when it's sort of like, Oh, I'm one of 15 designers in this group of 45 designers at this really large company. Yeah. But I'm starting to show my bias again. So, but it's definitely sort of like product team versus consultants, essentially. And I wanted to just chat about differences. How do you align with these people? Because I think you're probably having to work side alongside people as well, too. Yeah. So, um, very often we are trying to understand the why behind their organization. So, if they're not aligned, it's probably because there's not a clear why. Mm-hmm. There's not a clear purpose of that organization. And so the first conversations tend to be, why does this company exist? I mean, these seem like really fun foundational questions. Right. But, you know, why do you exist? What kind of impact do you think you're having on the world? Right. Uh, why do you think the people that you work for and work with and, and partner with should care about that thing? And I think you know this already, but very few companies can actually explain. Right in an accurate way or a lucid way, what that looks like. And by lucid, I mean, I use that word very deliberately. Mm. I think it's easy to hallucinate (laughs) what you think value means and what the potential vision of the company is. Mm -hmm. But really, it's just an idea or concept in your head or the CEO's head that that they're trying to align everybody around. Mm Where true vision happens is when can, somebody can take that hallucination and turn it into a visible thing. Mm-hmm. That's why the word is called vision. Okay. So you actually visualize it so that everybody is looking at the same thing and saying, that's the destination. That's where we're going. Mm-hmm. How we get there is somewhat ambiguous because we don't control everything. Mm-hmm. But we have a very clear vision of where we're going. And that becomes the why. Then you find that if you're dropped into a new team or you inherit a new team and you can find that vision right. and it, or it exists already, everybody's super aligned. Gotcha. What I find, and this is something that's evolved over time, not something that I knew from the beginning, is that it's a very often a company will have a clear vision for the company. Sure. Go then, public. Right. No. Or, or are you talking to me like, no, like we're, we're, we're into to, the, to make people better lives with right. X, Y, and Z. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but they want to have a clear vision of the product within the company. So let's say you're working on a particular thing that the company makes mm-hmm. or a, um, an enterprise version of the thing that they make. So the enterprise customer is different. Mm-hmm. What's the product vision for that? Gotcha. Like how do you interpret what is at the highest level down to the level that's really relevant to the end user and to the people that are selling to that end user Mm -hmm. because product vision tends to be ignored. Well, we have a vision and we have a product strategy, right? Well, nobody else knows that (laughs) it's an internal thing. It's not being expressed externally. And that's exactly the same as, you know, a group of people. If if those, if that group of people has a reason to be, Mm -hmm. you know, go back to special forces, like, Look, the commander's intent is we're going to go and kill the bad guy. There's a particularly really bad guy, and we're going to go somewhere and kill that guy. And there's 15 people on a on a team to go and do that. That's the vision for the group. Everybody knows the why. Correct. Absolutely. That's the why. However, everybody in the team needs to know their role, and they need to understand the particular, I would call it, product vision for how they're going to then participate at each step. Mm-hmm. Because going from one place to another to another in order to get to that final destination is going to require different sets of skills right. and different people are going to be more important along that route. And as you figure that stuff out, you also need to be internally aligned. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I know what you do. I know why you're here. I know why you're valuable. And I've got your back because of that. Right. All of that alignment stuff requires conversations and empathy and, and really just, you know, Right. What I would call micro alignment versus mm-hmm. the macro alignment, sure. the bigger vision. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I know as I've been in the room 
where sometimes people don't get that and they're like, just draw the pretty pictures. I have the vision. It's all this. And I just need, I need some, <laughs> some designs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, and I know you've bumped into this as well too. Do you have a, a good combatment or do you just kind of get everybody aligning around alignment? Um, I th look, obviously the vision is really important. You right. do like, for me, the vision also has to be somewhat divisive in that it's got to be a strong enough vision that people can say, yes, this is for me, or no, this is not for me. Yeah, They'll fight. So, yeah, right. politics, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, like, like the, yes, this, I really want this. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, I want this. I believe in this. I'm, I, I, you know, I'll not necessarily die for it, but yeah. I'll, like, I'll go to the mat for this stuff. Right. Um, and, and that's why... Or in it, it could be, I'll perhaps give up resources and budget. I really believe in this. You know, things like that. So yeah. in the end... The but it must be divisive. Sense. Like, you, you, you must... It's that... Um, the example I use is the classified ad that Shackleton used when he was trying to get people to come uh, to Antarctica on this crazy... Uh, this idea that he had, which was... You know, this was like 1906, and they were going to go walk from one side of Antarctica to the other. And the ad that he put in the paper reads like recruiting insane people it says listen <laughs> we're, we're going on this trip uh the chances of you coming back are very slim uh there's very little money there's very little recognition for what we're going to do um and you know there's a good chance that something bad will happen along the way right and five thousand people signed up <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> and, and 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 the reason why i think it's so good is because the five thousand people that he absolutely needed for this to be successful were in that group and then there was everybody else. And so a vision has to be divisive in the sense that it's got to say, look, here are the, here is what's attractive to a certain group of people, but not to everybody. Mm -hmm. Then, once you've established that, then it's a case of understanding what are the personal motivations within that group and how are they aligning with that? Why, why do they think that's important? Why do they think they care about that idea? Right. And then are you willing to invest in that? Like, is it worthwhile investing right. in that at an individual level? So... When it comes to making the vision happen, it ultimately boils down to, yes, we've got this divisive idea that some people want and some people don't, but then there's an individual quality to it as well. That's great. This will actually go really well into the next topic is how do you hire and find those people that can drive it? Because for a while, it's yeah. going to be you, right? Like this is how you operate, but then that doesn't scale. And you need to find people that can be a mini version of you or to take certain aspects of things like that. Yeah. Um, again, I would use almost the same analog or metaphor for that. You need a divisive way to get people in and out of your organization. So um, maybe another good example is JFK says, listen, we're going to go to the moon. You know, it's Rice University, 1962, and he's standing in the stadium. Yep. And he says, we're going to go to the moon half the people say, that's a great idea. And the other half are like, this man is insane. Like, we want nothing to do with him. Right. Um, and and I think that's okay. That's how you hire. Then people show up and say, I want to be part of that. And those are the people you can start recruiting and saying, yes, these are the people we want yeah. inside of our organization. But we also know who the people are that we don't want here. If they're here just for the paycheck, gotcha. but they don't believe in going to the moon, well, that's not going to help. So there's... If you inherit that, it's slightly different, right? Then you have to be divisive when you get there and say, look, you're here, but we're going to go to the moon. Do you still want in? Mm -hmm. Well, now we're going to go to Mars. Like, right. here's the new objective. Uh, good point, yeah. Um, and, and find out who's in and who's not. And I think that's a really, really powerful way to hire because people then self-recruit. Right. They, they come knocking at your door and yeah. say, I need to work here. Hey, I've always wanted to go to the moon or Mars or whatever your objective is. I mean, those are really good examples because yeah. who the hell thinks that that's a good idea, right? Only a certain group of people. Right. I see this real, uh, you could point it to like successful products, but also successful people, it's sort of niche-based, right? And niche, uh, I know it's, it sounds a little passe right now, but it is really that, you know, this will do really well and, and this group of people will love it so much that they'll do almost anything for it. Right. And they can't live without it. Yeah, and we live in a world where there are enough people, there are you know, almost 10 billion people on the planet. Okay. You can have a very, very specific, focused, niche product right. that only does one thing really well right. and be very, very successful at it. So, right. yeah. That's great. Uh, how are you... This is always evolving for me. I, I go to sort of different ways. Um, but you, know, you 
a lot of people working for you before career paths. Like, do you plan those out as in, you know, here's a nice little group of chevrons and you're going to be here and then you're going to be here. Or I know some other people are sort of like, I have a different thing. I'm going to give you a title and people might not have heard of that title, but that's you. And, and just, you know, I don't think this is a personal right, wrong way to do this, but I was just curious what your philosophy is. Um, I don't think, I think I'm the wrong person to ask that question because I haven't really had a really clear path of where I wanted to go, mm. except that there are certain people that I want to be around. There's a certain type of human that I share sure. to work with. Uh, and I look for that in the people that I work with. I look for people who value team over individual. Gotcha. Um, and I don't mean in a, like, in a purely altruistic way, like, oh, I'm going like, to sacrifice everything that I care about just so that the team's good. Right. But... I'm going to put my strengths and energies and skills to work so that this team does better. Like, okay. That's what I'm looking for. Again, that's not for everybody. It's sure. Not the, yeah. It's not a great career path. But the, the when I teach and, and mentor, I ask people, you know, you can't do this on your own, right? Your, your career path is not an individual pursuit. It's mm. a, it's a, it's a common pursuit amongst many, many people. It's people you need supporters, you need employers or or you need to employ people in order to make your career successful. What are the what are the ways that you describe that to yourself in terms mm-hmm. of your efforts? Like, how do you make those connections? Um, and and are, is what you're doing useful mm-hmm. towards that goal, or are you just selfishly pursuing a career? That's the useful thing. Yeah, that that really hits it home for me because that's always it. You want <laughs> what I say to everybody. You know, if I'm interviewing them or, you know, you walk into a new organization, you're trying to assess people. <laughs> you all, I tell people, you always need to be the, the person, the guy like, oh, we need Richard in the room for this conversation, right? And if you don't have that role inside your group or your organization, like, you might want to, you know, see if there's something that you can pick up that makes you invaluable. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't necessarily mean in the like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired if I don't do this. But you you need to feel the valuable. That's right. Yeah, and, and it evolves sure, as well. Yeah. Like when you're super young um, and you're just entering into the workforce, those things are not necessarily going to be as philosophical as we're describing. It might be, look, I do need a paycheck. i got to pay rent. Right. And, and so you, you're willing to do certain things at that level. But eventually you start to see where you can be valuable and you can see where your skill set and your passion start to intersect. And Passion's a weird word, but it's yeah. the, the things that you care about, the things that you want to spend time doing, even when they're hard. Like, that's the way I describe it. Like, I, I want to be working on things that are rewarding, even when they're crap. Sure. Like, rewarding for me, for the team, for the company. So, I, I see less, just going back to an earlier point about the consulting mindset versus the, you know, working in the company mindset. Mm-hmm. I think what consulting teaches you is that you're at service to other people's ideas. Right. So when you and I are working on a project mm-hmm. and we're designing or developing an application, we're very often doing it in service of somebody else's vision. It's not our vision. Right. We're adopting that and we're making them successful and, and hopefully wealthy or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they want as well. Um, and, and that service mindset actually does work pretty well in a corporate environment. So if you went out of the service consulting mentality and went to work for a big corporation mm-hmm. you'd be like oh yeah i i'm in oh. service I'm, I'm actually very as long as the service you're in service to something that you care about you can be super useful oh absolutely yeah the consulting mindset and i you know when i talk to friends or just you know meet new people and everything i saw this when we had a, a from a deca a bunch of the developers were like that was a good run i'm gonna go work for a product company now and like those people are like unicorns because they're like this sprint nothing gets carried over to the next sprint like because yeah. it's consulting mindset like it gets yeah. done because we said we were gonna do it yeah um and that's sort of my whole you know that's my thing on the product versus consultants. But uh, I really um, I really like that approach that you were talking about with the team and bringing the value because that, that for me is a different way of thinking about that I, I need to think about more <laughs> instead of the like, you're here, I'm there type of a thing. Um, that was great. So let's switch uh, topics a little bit. Um, 
about we, we switched a little bit into new business acquisition. I, I, I don't want that to sound like let's talk about sales and now we get customers yeah. because like I, I think we're both of the same variety where like we want to bring on people because we like to help people do their next great thing, right? Um, and but we have to do it, right? It, it, it's a part of the job, yeah. um, and so. I know we've both tried a variety of different models out there and some things work and some things don't. Where where are you now in your understanding of sort of like, you know, I need I would like to get new customers. This is the approach that I'm gonna take. I know you're a big networker. I'm just are you more word of mouth or you sort of have the marketing and the BDRs and they're picking up the phones and like this there's a lot of ground to cover here. So I was sort of focusing on Yeah. Uh, and of course, our experience is going to be relevant to consulting as right. a as a trade. Yes. Um, so we've tried just about everything. Yeah. Because not everybody is looking for a project, right? Yeah. But you sound great. I might need you in two to three years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We actually just closed a deal that took seven years. Yeah. Never seven years up. between <laughs> the conversation and and actual. That's service. amazing. Yeah. That's great. Um, so because we're a curious group, because I'm a curious guy, we've tried everything. We've, we've had all kinds of marketing and sales techniques and, yeah. and, and methodologies. Uh, there's a part of me that says you've got to do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Although what we found works best for consulting is um, a little bit of thought leadership. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a lot. You don't have to write four books like I did. <laughs> like, I, that's overkill. Like, yeah. you don't... I, ca I call this the balanced portfolio, just right. like your financial advisor yeah. says. Yeah. I, I think it's important to express thought leadership in whatever way is appropriate. Maybe mm -hmm. you have a podcast, maybe you speak at conferences. By the way, that that doesn't lead to... The, nobody stands up halfway through your talk and says, you're hired. <laughs> um, but it does set up the opportunity for a conversation or create the awareness that's necessary. Right. So... Um, it's it's necessary but insufficient. What works tactically, though, on a day-to-day -day basis is reaching out to your clients or your prospects and saying things like, listen, I know that you've got a regular schedule of roadmap stuff that needs to be done. There's, there's It's just keeping the trains on time, right. and we're probably already working with you on some of that stuff. What's the one or two things that you would love to give attention to that mm -hmm. you can't right now? Because you're spending too much time on that, this tactical issue. Yeah. yeah, like what's the, what you know, what's the moonshot that you would love to be working on right now, but you you don't have the resources for. Yeah, this People, is fantastic. I'm going to write an email with the subject line that's what's your moonshot. I'm just much. kidding. I'm totally. Yeah, well, actually, it's, <laughs> it's not far from the truth because all you really have to say to somebody is. What's on your road back roadmap that that you care about, yeah. but that's not getting any attention, right? And it doesn't have to be the size of a moonshot, but it's normally something that people care a lot about. Mm -hmm. Like we've done some discovery work, we know that there's this potential for something here, but we've got so many resources working on just reacting mm -hmm. to the day to day that we're not really being proactive about this other right. thing. And then you say to them, well, why don't we do a week or two of pro bono work on that thing for you and see mm -hmm. if that thing is truly as awesome as you think it is? Because yeah. maybe you're just in love with it. Absolutely. Maybe it, maybe it's just, um, you know, it's the girl across the street that you you look through the window and you're like, oh my God, she must be amazing. But you've never really met her, right? You right. don't really know. So, and then she goes inside her house and kicks her cat. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> she turns out to be a sociopath. So the, what, what, you, what we're saying is we're going to take our time and energy and work on a very discreet part of something right. that, that's not getting attention right now to find out whether it has legs and whether it's useful to you or not. And you're, you're signaling a bunch of things there. One is, I care about the future of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I care about your projects. But also, we're willing to spend our time and money on something that's probably more valuable than just marketing. Right. So. Uh, instead of us spending a whole bunch of money on Facebook ads or whatever it is, we're going to spend money on you. Right. We're going to invest You're in gonna you. You're going to whiteboard a little bit. In, yeah. And it's funny because we do that as well. <clears throat> and some people, when I tell them that, they're like, aren't you afraid that you're going to just flush $10,000? Or, or or even if the customer pays you a little bit for that. Let's say like they're like, fine, here's $5,000, whatever. No, right? I don't even want to get into that. But people will say, well, what happens if you go through this thing for two weeks and they paid you you know, this number of dollars and and the thing's going to go nowhere? And I say, sorry, I still let you answer that. But uh, I say, 
you just save them an incredible amount of money and heartache. I mean, it just happened to us. Oh. Literally that exact scenario where yeah. um, one of our clients had a, a side project. This like oh, unprofessional, excuse me. <laughs> Phone blowing up. Um, they had this little project on the side that they suspected would actually be pretty interesting, but they weren't sure. And we said, why don't we just run a design sprint on this and see what happens. Essentially, it, it, some of your listeners will know a design sprint is using the scientific method to take a hypothesis mm -hmm. and build an experiment around it. You prototype something and you test it. And right. you either validate or invalidate that hypothesis. Absolutely. And what happened is we invalidated. Mm -hmm. And instead of them being super disappointed that this pet project of theirs was now dead, essentially right. because we had proven that it wasn't worth working on, they were very excited that they weren't going to have to go through the trouble of spinning up in a team, finding the resources, finding the budget, you know, delaying other projects so that they could do this. Because yeah. sometimes, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but very often these pet projects are executive projects. So yeah. what we would sometimes refer to as drive-bys. Sure. The CEO... It would be great if we could do this. ...wanted to do something and kind of th had a throwaway comment during meetings saying, wouldn't it be good if we did what the competitors are doing or what, yeah. you know, get into this space and inadvertently set this in motion as a project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it happens all the time. Absolutely. I, you know, and, and it doesn't always, it doesn't mean that the CEO is in love with it. It just means that that's something that they were thinking right. about at the time during that meeting. And because that person's the CEO, everybody has like, legs. The right. CEO said yeah, we have we to work on this piece of functionality. Yeah. And so that's what we should find a way to do. So very often, and this is why this, discovery as sales work so well is because then what you're also the final signal that you're sending is we care enough that we're willing to spend our time and energy finding out where the things that you should care about are mm -hmm. and therefore we're a good partner right so we're helping and that's all you want you want to be known as like these guys are great and yeah. they're like, oh, you must pay a million dollars. Like, no, not really. But like, they really helped us out. Like, that's fantastic, right? Because ultimately, in my first ever uh, sales manager, when I was like a junior sales guy, um, my first sales manager had this thing on her wall that just said, during good times and bad times, people do business with their friends. Absolutely. And what you've essentially done in a situation like that during that discovery of sales process is set up a level of trust that borders on friendship. Like this person gives a shit about me. Right. And that's rare. Yeah. That's super rare. Yeah. Like somebody, a stranger almost, went out of their way to take care of my business and my role and my responsibilities on their dime. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That That's also, and um, we'll have to hear your thoughts on this, what I <laughs> tell all of my teams, at some point in time, and preferably in the very first part of the project, you must you must be on site with the customer. You must be somewhere with the customer because on every project, something goes wrong, you know, could be dramatic or not. And if you've sat there and had a glass of wine or some mm -hmm. food or whatever, um, that just means so much more than just being, you know, uh, you know, a slack, slack message. Slack yeah. message. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think we front load those, our relationships with our clients where kickoffs are always in person I mean, unless unless it's very very yeah. difficult and you yeah. just can't but, happen, and you need to get the project. Yeah, up, but right? we, I mean, we've been to like some strange places around the world <laughs> to kick off projects. Yeah, and that face to face time is really important. Mm. It gives us the opportunity to uh, establish rapport and chemistry. That does again. That's one of those opening moments. Like it's yeah. back to the psychedelics. Like you have an opening, you explore it. It's not the solution. But you now know what the solution could look like. Right. You now know who that person is, what they care about, the circumstances that they're in, the mm -hmm. politics, the culture that they're in. Yeah. And being exposed to that gives you empathy. Oh, you just empathy you just hit that right on the and if you don't mind me for one minute, um, I just remember a few years ago I had a just brand new groups of project managers. They were like you know, a year or two out of school and and uh, it was just where we were as a company. And uh, three or four years now, I'm getting old. But uh, um, and I remember they were just visibly upset. And I'm like, "Well, what's wrong?" And it's like they were just my the customer was just just yelling and screaming at me and was super upset. And I said, "Well, why do you think they were upset?" 
Yeah. Why, why do you actually think they were upset? And they, they couldn't come up with it. And so, um, and I said, did you send your status reports out? Have you been updating base camp and all of these things? And the answer was no. I'm so busy. And I'm like, well, I'll work on the busyness aspect because, you know, that that's on me. Mm-hmm. But, um, this person made a decision to work with us or has been given a project. Mm-hmm. And if this project fails, this person's worried about right. it's their job, their job, mm-hmm. their job. If you're dealing with a CEO, they could be out of business and the whole thing failed. Right. Yeah. So it's not because they said, I feel like tearing up a project manager today or a designer or a developer. It's I'm nervous and scared, scared. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the empathy um, again, though. Right. Yeah. But, Fear is anger. Anger is fear. They're, it's the same thing. It's mm. two, two sides of the same coin. So when somebody is is expressing anger, they're expressing some fear towards an outcome, um, or that they are unable to do their job, or they're unable to reach their goal, yeah. or that you've let them down in some way, and they trusted you, and now their jo- their reputation is on the line. Right. So, so when somebody's shouting at you, it's normally because they're scared. Mm. And if you take that perspective, you can say, Oh, you know what? I wonder what's driving that. And then you can get to a place of understanding a lot quicker. Absolutely. Or you can avoid it in the first place. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I think you know, just having the tool set to be able to deal with those things is because those situations, as much as you try to avoid them, right, they'll, they're, they're, they are going to happen. So that was great. Uh, I really appreciate you going over a lot of those sort of new business acquisition things because it gets, as with everything, a little deeper, right? Mm-hmm. And it gets back to that philosophy of trying to help and be um, doing right things for your customers. Um, one of the things that I... I will say struggle with, I don't <laughs> struggle with it as much anymore, but you know, if, if people are growing groups and then suddenly, I know this happened a lot to me in the enterprise software world where suddenly they're opening up a sales team out in Seattle and LA and London, mm-hmm. and then suddenly I'm dealing with a remote decentralized workforce. And I know this is a big topic uh, for you. You actually now opened up a sort of a co-working space, uh, which yeah. we would love to get into a little bit. Um, but uh, I know there's some very easy passe answers that can go out there like, well, if you, you know, you shouldn't have hired a person if you don't trust them to, to work remotely. But I feel like it's a little deeper than that and there's cultural issues. So I'm just going to sort of hand it over to you and get your sort of perspective on remote working. Yeah. So uh, remote working is a huge umbrella and it doesn't, it's a good point. Yeah. It doesn't actually reflect on the nuances or the subtleties of what people are working in. Um, so if you've got, let's talk about some of the extremes. If you've okay. got a 100% remote team, they're all distributed, and the original team was formed around that idea, then a company like InVision, for example, mm-hmm. they're 850 people. They've never had an office, ever. That's right. So that's the, the original DNA of the company. The, the recruiting is, like I said, divisive. People are being attracted to that because of that situation. Mm-hmm. So there are people who are also more likely to be better at it just because of that situation. On the other extreme, you've got companies that have always had an office, and we saw this a few years ago with Yahoo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had an office, then people started to kind of filter out into the suburbs as right. they were working from home became possible, and then Marissa Mayer said, no, no, you've got to come back, and, and forced everybody to come back to the <laughs> office. And, and by the way, that's happened multiple times yes. with multiple companies. Um, and the the confusion that that sets up is what ultimately hurts the um, the efficiency or effectiveness of of remote working. Mm-hmm. So this might sound extreme, but if your DNA is remote, be remote. If your DNA is office bound, be office bound. Right. What's insanely difficult to do, and we discovered this as well because we right. have been office bound for many many years, and then we went remote, is that when you become remote, you have to set it up as if you're changing everything. So you have to take on the responsibility of doing that. So and it's sort of like we're creating a new DNA? Is that sort of what you're exactly. saying? Okay. Yeah. So the way I think about it, and I think the way that most people would not empathize with, but understand is it's like um, getting ready for an IPO. So the, 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 the years leading up to the IPO, need to be in that readiness state. I think it's called readiness, actually. And oh, I've, you, yeah, you've been through it in, for about two or three years. Like, we are now running like a public company. Right. right. Here's and, SAP. Yeah. Right. And you need to you need to audit yourself as if you're 
a remote run company. You have to um, get experts in to help you understand what the things are going to be that you're going to have to deal with, the cultural changes, the logistical changes, the operational changes. Mm. You've got to practice. So, you know, just like you would do quarterly earnings calls even before you need to do quarterly earnings calls right. in readiness, you have to do remote working. So we, we had a couple of circumstantial things that forced us to do it quicker. We had a pipe burst in our office. It was flooded um, for Yes, for, I forgot. Yeah, that like, was terrible. I was in right after that happened. Yeah, yeah. and they were like, you know, the building manager was like, listen, you've got to be out of here for a couple of weeks. And we said, you know what? Nobody comes in the office for a month. Everybody works from home. And that'll be our first step towards understanding whether it, this is something we could do for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I know that other companies have actually tried to do this. There's a really good story about how, um, uh, I think it was Shopify, mm -hmm was planning to do that and there was a gap between their two leases and they were going to oh, okay. practice doing it. It never actually worked out, but they, they practiced Interesting. I'll that remotely. Up, yeah. And I think that's actually an important thing is it can't be a light switch. You can't just turn it on and say, hey, today we're remote. You have to build towards that by switching your DNA. So it's um, the metaphor that I have in my head is if you've ever owned a cat, you know cats feel like they have two sets of DNA. One's domestic and the other one's feral. Mm -hmm. you know, like, yes. And they're super domestic. They hang around. They'll do whatever you want. And then you open the door and they're feral. Like, yes. And I will I will kill a rabbit in front of you. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm a wild animal. Like suddenly. Yeah. And, and you have to realize that, you know, when you go from being remote or from being uh, office bound to being remote, that's that DNA you have to find and, and, and turn on and then see how it works because it may not work right not everybody's going to stick around we had people who said you know what this is not for me i need to be around people i need some sort of social cultural yeah. type and then of there were also the much deeper subtleties that we weren't going to in fact we we're having an event here tonight to, okay. to talk about it but it's the okay what about the people who need a little bit of both they need a little bit of time with with the team they need a little bit of time on their own what about could we do co-working could we do coffee shops? Could we arrange to meet on site with a client? There are all of those gray areas, just like the, the open office, closed office debate, <laughs> which is total bullshit. There has never been an open office and a closed office. There's always some kind of gray version of it in yes. between. There's just cubes that it, are high. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> and you know, some version of that works for your culture and some version doesn't. And you have to spend as much time thinking about that and operationalizing for that as you would. And it's, it's little details like Every call has to be a Zoom call with video. Yes. You have to see each other. Yeah. It just does not work. It's just... just yeah. And yeah. you've also got to put into your calendar things like, uh, we, we're definitely going to talk to each other on a regular basis. We're going to see each other on a regular basis. So we're going to do in real life events yeah. that the team's going to get together or that the squad's going to get together or the entire company is going to get together mm -hmm. on these dates. And we're going to do regular stuff with you know, face-to-face -face right. communication. That's smart. Some of it's work, some of it's social. Mm -hmm. But you've got to do that just like you would your friendship. Right. Yeah. You have to nurture it. Right? Yeah. It's because as we, one of the first things you said, it's a relationship. So yeah, I, I think we're, we'll switch off the business stuff because I, I think we, we went through the whole thing because you have a great way of being able to like combine different things. And I just can't stop. First of all, I don't know if anybody heard, that was not a marble rolling across the desk. My stomach just kept growling. <laughs> We haven't fed Jeff today. And so the other funny thing is... We're going to send him out to kill it. Grab it. <laughs> the other, exactly. And then the other funny thing I just kept laughing about is that we're, we're kind of dressed similar today, which yes. which makes me think of... I don't even know if you remember this. Oh, my God. Richard has been such an influence in my life in many ways that he doesn't understand. But uh, one of them is that um, we had met um, where I was thinking about bringing Richard on as, as, a, um, as a vendor, as I sort of went into... And, uh, and then I think the next night or perhaps two, there was an event, there was a tug event. It was like tequila night. Everybody oh, yeah. was crazy. Yeah. I don't want the E-tag. I don't want to be next to the NWL. But, uh, anyway, everyone was hammered. Right. And, um, and so I just remembered, uh, that I had, you know, put on my cool hip clothes because I came out of like wearing not a suit, but just like without a tie and then went into a straight into like, you're one of five people at a startup or something. And, um, and so I, I don't think I necessarily had all the clothes to sort of look the part and that shouldn't even matter. But yet here I am talking about it. And, uh, and so I bump into Richard and I'm wearing the same clothes that I wore like for these two days. And I'm like, 
I, I swear to God, I have more clothes. I have a dry cleaning situation right now. And then the next day, I, I signed up for Trunk Club. Ah, good for you. Excellent. <laughs> which is what I'm wearing right now. And I'm like, oh, my God. And just the fact that I can talk about that. Which is, but, that's uh, great. That's but awesome. the, but uh, anyways, that's oh, I just kept cracking up when I kept looking up at you. I'm like, oh, my God. Yes, the goal has been accomplished. But um, sw switching into some of the more, the more fun stuff, uh, I know we talked a lot about this previously, but it's been about a year or two since we've been in person. Mm -hmm. um, biking, still a thing? Yes, I still I still uh, race cyclocross, which is um, a version of cycling that reminds you more like a bunch of twelve year olds with BMXs. Oh, that's doing awesome. Stupid things. Yeah, um, you can still do that at our advanced ages. Yeah, you can, and it's it's you're less likely to get injured, um, more likely to uh, hang out with the people that you care about because it's a closed course, and, and unlike road racing, which is tends to be much more strung out over yeah. a long period of time. Oh, okay. So it's a very social sport and uh, I'm on the board of a local team and we were actually, I think, one of the biggest teams in the in New England. Yeah. Um, and super social and we have a very active Slack group as well. We meet together on a regular basis. So I find cycling to be one of those things that ticks so many boxes. Like it's obviously enjoyable mm. it's a, another excuse to travel yes I, good point yeah, yeah. I, I go to some really cool places to go and ride and but actually oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. like yeah part of it. that's it's a just, great way. some destination type yeah of exactly but it's also super social and um, a lot of the people on my team would be the kinds of folks that i would hang out with that's great as well that's yeah. great we we tend to find and attract you know there's just you know i don't yeah. want to get too much into the other world stuff but uh you know there is that undercurrent that we always get attracted to yeah. um where are you on the coffee scene right now Ooh. uh so because i remember nothing more i love than coming over to the office and getting like richard yeah. to make me we had coffee. a lot of we had a lot of coffees <laughs> we had all of the all of the coffees so now uh like you mentioned, we have a co-working space and we have an espresso machine and drip coffee and all the different variations on that. Um, I, I did have this very fleeting idea that I wanted to have my own kind of coffee shop situation mm. in this. I, I, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've envisioned that as well at times too. Um, like, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And then... Maybe um, a little acoustic guitar in the background. Right. <laughs> and then I had the opportunity to actually interview... Uh, some friends of mine who run two coffee shops and a bike shop, which is the other thing I oh, obviously want yeah, to, yeah. to do. Uh, and they run this in um, in Girona in Spain. And I just saw it how insanely difficult it is yeah. and like how, how much time and Oof. energy you need to put into that off hours in order for the on hours to run smoothly. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want any part of that. I, I just want to be the guy who sits and enjoys the coffee, not... <laughs> Worrying about any of the other exactly. Stuff. No, I went through a lot of this as well too. Oh my god! Um, and so, have you been pulled into kids soccer at all? No. So, I I don't know whether this is fortunate or unfortunate, but so I've got three boys: a twenty-two year old, a sixteen year old, and a three year old. So that's kind of like a four hundred one k. It spreads. Yeah, spread diversification yeah. <laughs> um, keeps you young. The twenty-two year old was mostly into cross country running, and oh, okay, which is actually very different kind of sport than say the team sports like soccer right. and, and hockey and whatnot. Um, and the 16 year old is currently not too into any of those things. Sure. Loves riding his bike and so skateboarding and stuff right? like yeah. that, but he's yeah. not like super into the, the team sport, the, the team sport stuff, which is fine. Cause I also went through that phase. I was like really into it. I was on the rowing team and played rugby and yeah. And then I was like, yeah, maybe. yeah. Maybe I'll just do some of the individual things like, you know, I'll ride my bike and I'll I'll do some climbing and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, so I think he's going through a similar kind of experimentation. And then, of course, the three-year-old, they're just <laughs> in, insane, right? They're just like 100% energy all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, started kicking the ball around. And, oh, and great. We'll, well see, you know. come to me if you have any tips on that. Yeah. Uh, my daughters are, you know, they're, you know, five, six days a week, club soccer, traveling yeah. across the country yeah. and all that stuff. So uh, That's cool. Yeah, no, and that's why even driving down here, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sure I've been down here on a soccer trip or something before. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, 
Um, and we touched a little bit of, we're both just big podcast fans, right? Yeah. So I'd love to hear, um, and I'm sure after people hearing you talk, if they hadn't heard you before, so what do you like to listen to when you, uh, you know, pop the headphones on? Yeah. So podcasts and audible books are yep. already my go-to. I'm, um, Isn't that 2X speed, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a particularly, even though I've written a lot of books, I'm dyslexic and I'm not particularly good with yeah. the written word and mm. reading. Um, so I, I trust spell check and editors yeah. to make me look. Grammarly is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to just kind of instant, you know, how do you understand a market in half an hour? Mm. A16Z, I feel yeah. like is just. Just killing best. it. Yeah. I mean, just, and then you'll get topics where like, I don't need to know about crypto for the next three right. weeks, but, yeah. but then they, they come out, well, there was a one, uh, API as a marketplace or something like that it was about a year ago. And, uh, that was amazing. And they have yeah. some great, it's just real good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So A16D, A16Z and pretty much anybody they interview who has a podcast, I'll, I'll do the cross oh, sure. check and see what that's like. Yeah. I bought that book, uh, high growth handbook after they had interviewed somebody. Yeah. That was really, that yeah. was really good. Especially I'd recommend that for a lot of people. Um, there was one where the guy who runs Bulletproof Coffee, I can't remember the name of his. Uh, yes. I know his, who you're talking yeah, about. He has a podcast and there was some, there was a cross pollination um, yeah, yeah um so I, I found out about i found out about him dave asprey dave asprey thank yeah. you um i'm not sure i like his style of interviewing mm. but i do like his uh guests and so that oh, i'll it, check it out like had... a way to introduce me to new people sure um michael gervais uh is it seeking wisdom i have not oh i i see the title now that was i did not know the first the name when you said it but yeah. i saw it when you said seeking wisdom i know i've seen that title pop up and yeah so he he is a, sorry, Finding Mastery. Finding, finding Mastery. mastery. Yeah. I like that. Um, so he is a, a sports psychologist and a high performance. He, he works for the Seahawks and has the most interesting interviewing style mm. that I think any of these guys have. Uh, and also a crazy variety of guests. So everything from like the best athletes in the world and their coaches. Mm -hmm all the way through to physiologists and, and that just kind of speaks to my biology background oh, and I love that kind of going yeah. into depth of like the psychology and physiology of performance. Sort of more of an in-depth version of like what the Malcolm Gladwell tried to do with the, because uh, yes. I, I, I feel like with Gladwell, I'm trying not to be too divisive here, but like he gets that one concept, he just nails the crap out of it home. Like yeah. here's another example to prove my point, right? Yeah. Where this sounds like it more be like, just exploring a little yeah. bit more. And and I think as somebody who has their own podcast, oh. listening to Michael Gervais interview, you'll be like, oh, that's a really interesting way to set up the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, Velo yeah. News, because Velo News is, talks about his coaching, I mean, you know, cycling and all that stuff. And oh, it's sure. also run by a very, very close friend of mine, a guy called Chris Case. Um, and so love to listen to him. He's a, crazy smart guy phd neuroscientist who then became a journalist and now runs um the part of the Velo news story which is they, sure. they produce the the, um, the the website and and he is somebody that we go i travel around the world with and, and cycle with and he's yeah. just a really interesting guy um oh the other one that you should definitely listen to just out of like complete like if you just want to change the scene oh yeah his armchair expert oh okay okay so i love these recommendations yeah, yeah. so um dax shepherd do you know him? oh yeah. yeah so i so the podcast when you as soon as you said that the podcast that i go to for the let's lighten stuff up i don't need yeah. to listen to jocko willink right now is um is uh conan o'brien's yeah and dax okay. was on and those two were just yeah so dax is amazing <laughs> and he's always got great guests i always yeah. love what he has to say um and then there's um it's called Work Life by Adam Grant. Okay. So Adam Grant is the guy who wrote a bunch of books about, you know, just careers and work and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then he partnered with Ted. And, and again, really, really high value production stuff, like 20, 30 minutes of podcasting. And you're just like, whoa. Like, I feel like I've got an MBA after that. Wow. That's great. Um, and he's a great personality. He's just this kind of. Oh, sure, sure. Really interesting guy. So I'll try and put, get some links yeah. together. But this is great. This um, is fantastic. I kind of dabble with Tim Ferriss sometimes. He's, he irritates me a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the Knowledge Project is something I've just started listening to. Um, so 
uh, Shane Parrish. Mm, I don't know. Either. So this is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little bit more in depth. Shane has a, a more investi. It's almost like a Charlie Rose kind of thing, more mm. investigative style. And you know, there's it's an hour of depth as opposed to the A16Z, which is kind of like thirty minutes. Thirty minutes of just like, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's very very cool. And then tons of books on yeah. um, audio. So I, I, that's my preference. I'll I'll probably go through easy 40, 50 books a year. That's great. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I do need to turn my speed up then. Not joking aside, but yeah. like, uh, but, uh, cause, you know, to that point, the, some of the feedback I got on that post that I put out there about, you know, how I consume literature. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, well, you know, it's not consuming, oh, it's it. reading. And, yeah. you know, they, they kind of make it out as if this is like arts versus science thing. Yeah. Look, if I'm reading a book just for the sake of reading it and it's fiction and I just want to enjoy it, yeah, you know, I'm going to just read it at my own speed. Right, you're going to put your pipe on and put your ass yeah, exactly. on in front of the fireplace. You know, got into the, I, I think exactly. I think mutual friends are uh, Dave Balter and yeah, Sarah. Yeah, I just they got into a big back and forth on this on Twitter where they were like, "Audiobook doesn't count as a real book, right?" And then like you know, Katie from Hubs uh, like, "Absolutely," and they're like, they yeah. just start going. But I'm like. Knowledge is knowledge, right? So, yeah, and, I, yeah. and again, it's like it's these stupid umbrella terms that screw people up, right? If you if you are consuming a book for just the facts and the knowledge, so that you can make better decisions, then it doesn't really matter how you consume it. Right. Like, but if you're trying to lose yourself, mm. like you know, the same thing with watching Netflix. If I watch a documentary on a certain thing, then I might like skip through to the parts that I want, mm -hmm. or whatever. Whereas if it's like you know, the new Avengers movie or whatever. Right. And I just want to lose myself. Absolutely. Just turn the mind off. Then I'll go to the Lux Theater and I get a big bag of popcorn. Yeah, and I'll just exactly. sit there and I'll be like, uh, I drool on myself. Oh, absolutely. You know? And it's funny on that note because like, I will go with my brother, he's a, but he's a huge comics guy. We go to all those movies together, and he's like, "Well, I didn't like how the plot." And I'm like, "I don't even think yeah. of it. like the mind is off." Yeah, it could be a Schwarzenegger movie. I don't care. Yeah. Like, I just totally. want it to be entertainment. Just enjoy it, and, and I think that's the whole point. Is that not all these things are created equal? Yeah, the purposes for why you consume them are not equal. So just right. don't have a perspective. Just like do what's appropriate. Back to the diversification. Yeah, awesome. This has been a blast. Yeah, that's... Went a little longer, um, but uh, I really appreciate it, and this is great to catch up. It's good chat with man. you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for coming up. Oh, absolutely, love the space.